Welcome. You may be a member at Rochester Church of Christ, or you may follow us regularly online, or you may have been referred to this by a friend. Either way, we're glad you're here. This is Adam Hill, Minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ, and I hope that this message will speak into your life with the good news about Jesus. Since I do not normally preach here every Sunday, this is my official message to the elders that I am reporting in as an eligible preacher this morning. (laughs) That seemed a lot funnier in my mind than you gave it credit for. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I coach sports for a living, so actually the last thing I want to do is watch sports on TV, give me the History Channel or the Cooking Network all day long. But it's good to see you this morning, and uh, I appreciate uh, the chance to be here as Adam is out. Uh, the specific holiday that we call Christmas, it's over. Uh, but please consider this text this morning. The Sunday following Christmas. And perhaps you can hear it fresh. Perhaps you can hear it new. It's not a Christmas sermon. Uh, if, it, if it were, though, here would be sort of the five seconds of that. Matthew tells us in chapter 1, verse 23, here's the quick Christmas story. And you're thinking, you should have preached last week, Clint. Your sermon would have been about 10 seconds. But Matthew says this about the Christmas story, chapter 1, verse 23, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. There it is. The second part of that verse, though, you'll want to remember this, we'll come back to it, because Matthew's the only one that tells us this. And they will call him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means the God that is with us. That's the Christmas story in Matthew. Matthew seems to be concerned about some other details. And his details that he wants his readers to know about happen right after Christmas. So today, if you would. And so here our text. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard that he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go worship him too. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that you are here in our midst, but we pray that these next few moments we would feel it. We pray that you would remind us in a powerful way of the incredible love that you have for us. And that you gave your name when you wrapped yourself in skin. You gave your name as Emmanuel, which reminds us that you are always with us. Again, help us to feel that this morning. And most importantly, if we feel like we're sort of in the middle of a mess right now, we pray that we would feel it all the more. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, I, I love the Christmas holiday. I really do. It's my favorite time of the year. I love the tree. I put the tree up the day after Halloween. Um, I'm the guy on the block who gets the Christmas lights out on the house before everybody else. I absolutely love it. I love all the traditions. I love the food. I love the dessert. I love potentially the family time. But here's the thing about me when it comes to Christmas. When it's over, it's over. I'm a little uncomfortable right now being up here with these trees behind me because what I do in my house is as soon as we're done um, unwrapping gifts and as soon as we have a meal and everybody else goes and takes a nap, I take the tree down. <laughs> uh, the tree's down in my house the night of December 25th because when it's over, it's over. It's got to be over, and so Christmas is over. I understand that millions of Christmas last, millions of Chris, uh, Christians last week were talking about the story of Christ, and they were reminded of Jesus' birth. They were reminded of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, and maybe even the Magi, although they're not part of the actual Christmas story. And we, we had that experience last week here, too. But when it's over, it should be over. And again, if you're like me, you probably don't want to sit here and hear about Christmas or think about Christmas until next late October. <laughs> but I would submit to you that there is one more story to tell. 
And it's the story that Matthew wants us to hear. Just after the birth of the baby king. One of the reasons why I love the Christmas season so much is because potentially it's full of fun, warm family time. But I realize that it might not be that way for everyone. I have a really good friend who's a therapist, and he tells me that therapists are busier around the holiday season more so than any other time of the year. And maybe it's because there's that other side of Christmas. For some, it can be a very painful time. If your life is out of tune this morning, then Christmas can be the most dissonant time of the year. If your marriage isn't working, if your joy is gone, it's probably harder to smile at Christmas more so than any other time. If there's an empty chair in your house, then that pain is only increased by the arrival of Christmas when you remember Christmas's past, when that chair was not empty. If there is serious loss or grief or even maybe alienation from a loved one, then Christmas can be a mess. If there's loneliness or broken relationships, then the, the rule of Christmas arithmetic is this. Take all your normal pain and double it. And that's why it's important to understand the Christmas story as Matthew tells it, just after the birth of the Christ. And so this first Sunday after Christmas seems like the opportune time to preach this text. Last week, again, my guess is that thousands of preachers were in the Gospel of Luke, and I'm sure that was great. Because Luke, there are singing angels, and there are shepherds, and there is happiness, and it seems like everybody is full of cheer, and there's the perfect little manger scene, which of course plays out in our mind's eye as this precious moment's nativity scene. It's a Broadway musical over in Luke. But Matthew is different. Matthew gives us, he shines the light somewhere else. Church, Matthew begins with incredible scandal. It begins with a genealogy that some would rather keep a hushed family secret. Names like Rahab, and David, and Bathsheba, and Tamar. Stories that you probably do not want me to tell this morning. And then right after that, there is that madman whose name is Herod. Before we talk about him, a few thoughts about the game of, of chess. I have a good friend who I've been working with for about 25 years, and uh, when we became friends, I brought to the relationship uh, checkers, and he brought to the friendship uh, chess. Uh, I've never been much of a chess guy, I don't really understand the point. As I look at the board, I think, surely you all can just get along. There's 16 pawns, they could probably go shoot hoops. The knights could get together, have a round table. Queens could go do whatever queens would do. But the reason there is a game of chess is because there is a problem. And church, here's the problem. There are two kings. Because there are two kings, it's all out war. 
In the history of humankind, one king has never really liked having another king around. And because there are two kings, everybody has their seek and destroy mission. The castles are bearing down straight. The knights are juking people. The bishops are heading in an angle. The queens have superpowers. But church, it's the kings. The kings, is, they're the problem. The kings are always the problem. And so Matthew tells us that there is a man named King Herod. And Herod is known for his distaste for other people with power. Herod had a brother-in-law that he didn't like, and so he killed him. Herod's wife started to get a little too popular because she was a Hasmonean princess, a Jewish princess. And so he had her strangled to death. And then two of his own sons in his madman mind, he thought they were plotting against him. They weren't plotting against him, but he thought they were. And so he had him killed anyway. Two of his own kids. And then Josephus tells us that he gave specific instructions that on the day he died, nobles all throughout the land were to be murdered just to make sure people were mourning. This man is absolutely crazy. And so all of a sudden we realize that things probably are not going to go over very well when he hears that there is a child that's been born, a king, king of the Jews. So he calls a group of scholars together and he says, okay, go, can you go find this king and tell me where he is because I'd really like to go and worship him. And they say, well, the prophet Micah says that he'll be born in the city of David in Bethlehem. And so Herod tells the Magi, see the wise men were bad guys to begin with. Herod tells the Magi, so I want you to go find this baby king and report back to me because I'm really interested in going and worshiping him. And of course, the wise men find the baby. They find the baby in a house. The wise men don't belong in the nativity set. One of my favorite things to do around Christmas is when we put all the nativity sets out, then I go right behind them and I get all the wise men and I put them somewhere else in the room, usually somewhere over in the east. The wise men show up, they find the baby and Mary in a house, and then there's a dream. They have a dream. And in that dream, truth breaks out, and they decide not to report back to Herod. They decide instead to go home. Maybe some of the most powerful words in all of Scripture, the Magi go home by another route. They take an alternate way home. Because they were so convinced, this, I think this really is the king of the Jews. And Herod finally realizes that he's been had. And he says, okay, since I don't know exactly where this baby king is, I'm going to throw my net of destruction as far out as I can. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go find every baby boy in the entire region that's two years old and younger and kill him. Find every male child who's two years old, younger, and kill him. So church, that's part of the Christmas story. 
And I hate to sound dark this morning, but this is scripture. And if you want everything to just be Luke, if you want everything just to be singing angels, that's some of scripture. But church, that's not all of scripture. Because the fact of the matter is that there really were babies murdered and mothers weeping. And part of the Bible is the reality that little boys were murdered when Jesus was born. And Matthew goes on to say that this brings kind of a, a fuller meaning to what Jeremiah said centuries later when he said, A voice is heard in Rama, weeping and great mourning. Rachel is weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. L listen, church, Ra Rachel had died centuries before this which I think makes it even more of a moving, provocative image. Rachel is known, if you would, as the mother of Israel. And she was buried in Bethlehem. And then centuries go by after her descendants go into exile. And as they go into exile, they walk through Bethlehem. And Jeremiah says, you know what? It's like we can hear Rachel in the grave crying as her great, 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 great grandchildren are walking across her grave into exile. And then Matthew grabs that. And Matthew says, guess what? She's still crying. Because now on top of the grave, all these babies are being slain on top of the grave of, again, their great, great, great grandma. And she's still crying. She's still weeping. Matthew's trying to tell us something. Okay, I don't know what kind of holiday you had or you are having. I assume some of us this morning have had a good one. And you are on top of your game spiritually. And everything seems to be going your way. And everything seems to be working. It's sort of a Luke Christmas. However, I have to believe. I have to believe in this space some of us this morning can relate to Christmas arithmetic. Take all normal pain and double it. And I guess that's the group that I really want to speak to as I transition. Here's the hope. Here is the hope. I am absolutely convinced as your preacher this morning that Matthew is trying to tell us something here. I think that he's saying even in this messy genealogy, a genealogy that would make you feel good about your family if you don't, even in this messy genealogy, even in all the havoc that King Herod is causing, even in a world where babies are being killed, in a world where Rachel is still crying from the grave, even in that world, a star appeared. And a child was born. Not into a perfect world, into that world. And Matthew wants us to be sure that we know what his name is. We sung about names. Matthew says his name is Emmanuel. That has great meaning, the God that is with us. Matthew says this is the God that's going to be with you in all things. And so he paints this really ugly picture to say, he's with you in all things, even in this crazy world. And so if Christmas arithmetic is true for you this morning, then Matthew's reminding us that Jesus was born into that kind of world. And he's with us. And for that, perhaps Matthew's retelling actually shines brightest. 
Okay, so our post-Christian text was these early verses in the first gospel, Matthew's gospel. But as we jump into this new year, I want to just remind us of some of the verses in the closing part of the fourth gospel, the last gospel in our New Testament. No necessary connection to the text, but just want to leave you with gospel good news. So at the end of John, in John 21, Peter has failed Jesus, completely failed him. Babies maybe are not being slain, but the Mediterranean world is still a mess. Jesus has died. His closest friends abandon him. And perhaps the closest one of all, Peter, has denied that he even knew him. I can't think of a more intense way to betray somebody. I, I, don't, I don't even know him. And then Jesus shows up to Peter. He shows up in Matthew to Mary and Joseph as an infant. He shows up at the end of the gospel story in John to Peter as a grown man. And he fulfills the calling and the purpose of his given name, Emmanuel. He's the God that's with us. Peter has failed miserably. And Jesus shows up and says, let's have breakfast together. He doesn't show up and berate him. He doesn't show up and chastise him. He doesn't show up and shame him. He shows up and he loves him. He cooks a meal for him. In a messy world, in a world in which it seems like Rome has won, in a world in which it seems that maybe the gospel story was just all a hoax, Jesus shows up as a reminder to Peter, I am who I said I am. And I'm with you. And I love you. He's still doing it today. Some days, maybe we feel it more than other days. But our ability to feel it or not has no power to index if it's true or not. If I was going off feelings, most of my days would be miserable because there's a lot of days I don't feel it. My ability to feel it or not has no power to index if it's true or not. And the beautiful thing about church community is on the days where I'm struggling or I don't believe it, I can lean in on Dwayne because he does. And guess what? There's going to be the day where you're struggling. And on that day, you can lean in on me. We borrow each other's faith as we move through this. And as we walk out these doors here in a few moments, and as we move into 2024, there are very few things that I'm certain of. But one of the things that I'm certain of is this, that God loves us and he's with us. If that's not true, what else, what, what else matters anyway? And so I choose to believe that. Kenny, you want to come on up? 
Well, in Matthew's gospel story, it's not It's a Wonderful Life, it's not a Charlie Brown Christmas play, and it's certainly not a Broadway musical. But it is the gospel. And it's the gospel that says his name is Emmanuel, the God that is with us. And I don't know about you, but I like Matthew's Christmas story. Because I need the reminder that in all things, not just when it's good, not just when the ground is fertile, but also when the ground is stony, I need to know that even then, God loves me and that God is with me. Because I need him. And I especially need him in the middle of a messy world. As we look to a new year, I want to leave you with a blessing. The blessing you would get from Adam is that you are loved and you are chosen and you are. The blessing that I want you to hear is one that's been prayed over the church for thousands of years. Thousands of years. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be glory and honor and power and authority for all ages now and forevermore. Emmanuel, the God that is with us. Let's sing. Rochester Church of Christ is called to live God's gospel, truth, and love with the world so that we all may find life together in God. We are not a perfect people, but we long to live in ways that help people see God and the kingdom more clearly. To learn more about our family of faith or to connect with us, visit www.rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.